0: Good morning, and thank you all so much uh, for being with us this morning. And I think if I understood the boys correctly, we've got video of this, which is a terrible idea. I was always told that I have a better face for radio, so I'm not sure if your viewership's going to go down based on this or not. But I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad that I can be with you. Open your Bibles with me to the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. And we're going to pick up our study in Habakkuk. And for those of you that weren't here when I was here Oh, back six weeks or so ago, um, Adam happened to be visiting in Danville when I was working on this series about a year ago, or a little bit better than a year ago. So if you don't like it, Adam's taking complaints in the back. And so if you don't get any help out of it and it's not any good, then blame Adam, not me. Habakkuk, as we talked about last time, the prophet's name means to embrace God, to draw near and to draw close to God. And I've always found that interesting when we think about Habakkuk because Habakkuk is dealing with some very difficult things here, right? Remember as we talked about in our last lesson that Habakkuk is is having this internal conflict with God because God's saying that you know Habakkuk sees the degradation of the people and says, God, what are you going to do about it? And then God says, well, I'm going to do something about it, but you ain't going to like it. And Habakkuk has this kind of conflict. And typically what happens when we have a conflict like that most of us don't embrace God. We're not trying to hug God and hold on to God. What do we do? We start to move back away from God, right? God, I don't understand. I don't know how this is going to work. It doesn't make any sense. And we start to move away from God. But Habakkuk, through this, acts as you and I should act as a child. What happens to children when they're in a unique situation, right? They see strangers. What do they do? They grab on tightly to mom and dad's leg, right? All of a sudden, your outgoing child that you know, goes up and hugs strangers get shy. And what do they do when they get shy? I want to grab a hold. I want to embrace mom and dad. Why? Because there's safety there. And so Habakkuk, when he has the faith paradox that we talked about, how can a good loving God use bad people as part of his plan, that faith paradox that we talked about? He says, I'm going to embrace God through that. And even when Habakkuk starts to deal with God's mysterious ways that God, you're doing some things that just don't make any sense to me. They don't have to make sense to me, by the way, because that's not my job, right? What does he do? He says, "I'm going to embrace God." And so, Habakkuk embracing God through these difficulties, through these challenges, and we find ourselves here in chapter two, in verse one. And in chapter two, in verse one, we're going to read verses one through four. I will take my stand at the watchpost and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me, and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on the tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come and it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. So what Habakkuk's doing here, he's he's perplexed, he wants to embrace God, he doesn't understand the things that are going on, and God gives him basically a quick three-step process that you and I need in the times of chaos, when our life is spinning out of control around us, when we have trouble understanding the hurt and the pain and the disappointment that comes with life, when we don't understand how bad things can happen to good people, or how when we're mostly good, our sin takes us to a place that we didn't want to go. What do we do to find calm in that chaos? And the the answer to this finally is that we stop, we look, and we listen. Now there's some things we're going to talk about today that may be a little uncomfortable for some of you. That's okay. Please stay with me till the end before you decide to call me a heretic. But I want to tell you that today, God's still working and living and active. I think sometimes in our inability to understand and comprehend God, we've relegated all the things that God can't do. And we've decided that God can't be involved today because miraculous gifts have ceased. And God can't be involved in my life today because... You know, he stopped doing that somewhere in the first century. But friends, I want to ask you something very clearly and very plainly. Why are we praying if God can't do anything? Why? If God's sitting up there in retirement, if God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are sitting in heaven on sabbatical just waiting to come back for Judgment Day and they're not doing anything, why are we praying? Why why are we doing any of this? But if God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are living and active and still there to help you and I today, then maybe our prayers change a little bit, right? Maybe what I need to do is to have a little more faith in the God that I serve. But here's why we don't, and here's why we struggle. We do it because we want to fix it, right? Anybody else here a fixer? I'm a fixer. It's one of my terrible personality flaws. If you come to me and start telling me about a problem, I'm listening to you, but I'm also developing solutions the whole time I'm listening to you. All right, you just need to do this, 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 and this, and if you'll do all these things, this will all be better and move on. You know what the problem with that is? You may not ask for my advice, right? You may just be venting. You may just be there to say, hey, here's some stuff I'm going through and I just need to talk it through. And maybe the solution is just in me getting it out with words and getting it off my chest. But I'm a fixer, so I want to rush right in and let's fix this, right? The first step in this is that we need to be still, to stop. When we find ourselves in the chaos of life, when we find ourselves in difficult situations, when we find ourselves overwhelmed and discouraged... Step one is not to get on the horse and try to run through the wall. Step one is I need to take a deep breath, I need to calm down, and I just need to stop for a minute. Has anybody ever made a rash decision that worked out great? None of mine ever have, right? Rash, snap decisions, I end up just like our buddy Jephthah, right? You just make a snap vow and then next thing you know it's all bad. How do we make the best decisions that we make in life? Isn't it with meditation and thought and prayer? When we slow down? When we start to analyze and think about what's going on? The most important thing we can do in difficulties and chaos is to just stop. To be still and remind ourselves that we belong to God. He's mine and I'm his. And if he's done all the things that he's already done for me to save my soul, to redeem me from my sin when I am worthless, to love me when I'm unlovable, why wouldn't he help me through this? You see, that's where our faith gets lost, friends, is that we make these crazy decisions because we're in a rush to get through it and we forget that God still loves me and God still cares about me and that God wants what's best for me. I'm going to say that one more time. God wants what's best for me. God doesn't want me to be happy. God doesn't want to give me whatever my wildest whims and cares are. God wants what's best for me. And sometimes what's best for me is to struggle. Isn't that what James writes? That doesn't make any sense. My friends, count it all joy when you fall into various trials and temptations. Why? Because the trying of your faith produces patience. Nobody wants to go to the gym, right? Right? If we all had our druthers, wouldn't you rather be sitting on a couch eating Cheetos? I mean, I would, right? I don't, nobody wants to go to the gym. You go to the gym. You eat things that normally I would feed to my food. You eat those things because you want to be healthier, right? Because I want to get better. I want my body to be stronger. I don't want to be you know, riding around in a scooter. I, I want to get better. And so I do things that are hard. Right? We, we go to the gym, we eat things we don't necessarily like to eat, and we go through this so that we can get stronger, that we can get better, we can get healthier. Well, friends, the same thing happens spiritually. right? That when we go through trials, when we go through difficulties, that on the other side we get stronger and we get better. We're better because of it. One of my favorite quotes by Brother Homer Haley in his book, In Prayer and Providence, Homer Haley writes that God does not save us from the storms, Rather, he saves us through the storms. When we pray about the calamity and the chaos that we're in, oftentimes, what's our prayer? God, take this away. I can't bear it. Take it away. When God's saying, I'm going to walk through it with you. And when you get to the other side of it, we're going to be better. But see, I can't think clearly and I can't think rationally and I can't put all of those things into the correct perspective if I'm trying to fix it all myself, right? That's where the first step comes in, is that we just have to stop. We need to meditate. We need to reevaluate our relationship with God. We need to ask ourselves, am I drawing closer to God, or am I moving away from God? In all of the calamity, and all of the chaos, where am I at, and where's God? If we'll start there, I promise you, you'll always have better outcomes. Because we need to figure out very quickly... If we moved ourselves away from God or if we're trying to clench on and embrace God. Come on with me to Psalm 25. David writes to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Oh, my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth and my transgressions according to your steadfast love. Remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him he will instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. O oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let, not, let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O Lord, out of all of his troubles. Did you notice the word that kept coming up over and over and over and over again in that? Wait. Stop. Wait. Wait for God. Because, friends, our timetable and God's timetable are different things. We think, well, this should all be wrapped up by the end of the week. But it doesn't. Certain things take time. And as much as I wanted to go to the gym one time and lose all the weight, it didn't happen. It takes time. It takes sacrifice. It takes endurance. All of those things come when we wait on the Lord. When we stop, when we still ourselves, and when we wait for God to act. Because we know he's going to act. It only makes sense that he is. Why would God do everything that he's done for us? I just want you to think about this. Why would God do everything he's done for us and then just throw us out there and say, all right, boys, get after it"? Why would that make sense? Why would it make sense that our God does not have a direct influence in our lives even today? How does Peter put it? God is not slow, as some men count slagness, but is patient, wishing all men everywhere to repent. Well, how's he doing that? Do you think God's sitting up in heaven just, you know, in a big recliner and saying, boy, I wish these boys would repent? Or is he sending preachers? Is he sending elders? Is he sending deacons? Is he sending people that we love and care about to carry that message of redemption to them? If we'd stop for a minute and think about how good our God is and how much he loves us, we would then be able to understand that he's still working and he's still active. But that takes us to our next step, right? We've got to look. Friends, we've got we to still our mind and quiet our soul and then open our eyes and our hearts. And we need to see God working. Because I promise you, he is. One of the things I talk about a lot in in my preaching is that I believe everybody should have a prayer journal. If you don't have one, go get you one of those $1 composition books at Walmart, and I want you to write down things that you pray about, difficult times that you're going through in life. If you'll write that down, it memorializes it, right? And you think about difficult stretches you went through, and then write down how you came out of them. Something that you were so worried, you were so anxious about, you didn't know how it was going to go. And then a few days, weeks, months later, here's how it was resolved. If you'll do that, you know what you're going to be able to see? God's hand and providence and his care for you. But what happens, right? We pray for something. Let's say we're having financial troubles, right? And I pray, you know, oh, Lord, I just, I'm, I'm struggling. This month I got more bills than money. And I don't know how I'm going to get through that. And then something happens. Maybe your boss offers you some overtime at work. You pick up a little side job. It ends up working out. You make it through the month. But what do we do in that circumstance? Man, I got a really good boss. I'm glad he looked out for me. Right? I'm so glad I came on that side job. You know, I just, I have some really good friends and some really good people. But I prayed to God about it, right? I asked him to intervene and I asked him to help. But who am I giving the credit to? Because when it worked out, I'm not thinking maybe God's the one that's pushing these things. But if I look back, if I memorialize it in my journal, I can look back and say, hey, wait a minute, I prayed about this for multiple days, and here's what happens. Huh, isn't that interesting? Maybe there's God's hand in my life. God's providential care of his people is just sending ordinary people to do ordinary things. That make an extraordinary impact in lives. When you and I just do what we're supposed to. We're answering prayers of other people. We are the answer to others' prayers. When we're just doing what we're supposed to be doing. When we're just following through the way that we love one another. The way that we follow up with one another. The way that we care about one another. All of that is how God is using us to further the work and the cause of the kingdom. I've given up a long time ago about, you know, chance and time and all those things. Maybe there is some of that. But I'd far rather give credit to God and God tell me, Mike, it wasn't me, than to give credit to luck and chance and find out that it was God. But we've got to have our eyes open and we've got to see it. When you think about somebody, when somebody's... Name passes through your mind. I don't know if you've ever had that happens to me all the time. I'm driving down the road and I hear something and I think about somebody. I made a decision a long time ago. When I do that, I just pick up the phone and call them. I don't know if you need me or not, but I thought about you. How you doing? Everything okay? More often than not, I found myself on the other end of fairly long conversations where people were just wanting to talk about some things. I don't know if I was ever any help to them but maybe I was the answer to the prayer that they were looking for. Maybe they just needed to hear that day that somebody cared about them, was thinking about them. Friends, there's no more powerful thing in this life than being wanted, being desired. To think about that our God wants us, that he desires us, that he does so much for us. But to think about how much we need one another. That's why we're here in this local congregation. This local church family is what we are. We're just a big extended family. Because we need each other. Because families have to get through family things together. And we've got to quit this nonsense of not letting people in. Because isn't that what we do, right? I'm having a really hard time. I'm struggling. And somebody shows up and knocks on the door and says, Mike, how can I help you? Oh, I'm good. But I'm not. But that's what we say, right? Because we cannot allow anybody else to think that we're not perfect all the time, right? I mean, if I let them in, they're going to know that I'm a mess. we got to hide that. I'm perfect all the time. i got to put on my, you know, church face and church smile that we're this perfect, ideal family when we're not. None of us are. Friends, let me just be very, very clear about this to you. I already know that every one of you are a mess, right? Because I'm a mess. And if any of us were not, we wouldn't be here. You don't need Jesus. If your life is perfect and you have no sins, and you have no shortcomings, and you have nothing wrong, then you shouldn't be here. But if you're like the rest of us, then we need to be here and we need each other. But we've got to be able to look and see that that's God coming. I don't want to diminish this. Um, I always have a hard time trying to figure out how I want to say this next part. But oftentimes what we do a lot for people is when they're, if you're sick, somebody died, you're going through a difficult time. One of the things we do is we make food for them, right? That's kind of our cultural thing. Let me bring you a casserole. I don't want to diminish the food, right? Because that does help. But the food's not what's important there. What's important is the love, the thought, and care that went into that. What's important is the time you get to spend together when you're bringing that. The opportunity that we've created based on something, casserole in this instance, right? Where I can tell you that I'm really just having a bad day. And maybe all I need is somebody to cry with me. Maybe I don't need answers. I don't need you to fix it. I'm just struggling today. But when we let that person into our lives, when we share ourselves that our most vulnerable, do you know what that also does? It allows them the opportunity to do it the next time. Friends, we've got to look for opportunities to be involved with each other, to be able to be the answer to these prayers that we keep praying. We got to understand that that's the pieces that God's moving around the game board. He's sending me to your house to knock on the door and see how you're doing. I'm not being a busybody. I'm not being whatever. I'm just here because you've been praying about it. God's put the thought in my head that I should probably check on you, and that's why I'm here. We have to look for those opportunities and understand that that is God answering prayers. You know, there's the old joke that we tell, I'm sure you've heard it a thousand times, you know, about the, the flood and the guy's sitting out on his front deck and the fire, come, fire company comes by, and the mayor and everybody's warning him, says, you've got to get out of here, the flood's coming. The guy says, no, God will protect me. The waters come up and it's up to the roof and they come by in a boat They said, man, get in the boat, you're going to drown. If you don't get in the boat, you are going to die. No, 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 God's going to protect me. So it goes all the way up. Now it's above the chimney, and he's out there treading water. They bring a helicopter, and he dropped the ladder down and say, man, grab the ladder. You are going to die if you don't grab the ladder. No, 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 God is going to take care of me. man drowns and dies. He gets to heaven and says, God, what happened? And he said, well, I sent you a boat, a helicopter, and a bunch of people. You didn't answer any of them. Right? But what do we do? You can't see him because we're looking for God to show up, right? It's, it's, God's not going to show up in the fireman. God's not going to show up in the elders. He's not going to show up in the preacher. He's not going to show up in the deacons. I mean, it's God himself with the big white billowing robes. And if that doesn't happen, then I'm just all alone, right? Friends, we've got to open our eyes. We've got to open our eyes spiritually to understand that it is God. That's there. Come with me to Psalm 59. So Psalm 59 to just set the stage for this. This is David. (coughs) When Saul sent men to watch his house. And as soon as David leaves the house. They were supposed to rush him and kill him. So David's inside the house. There's all these people out there. That are just waiting to take his life. And here's the psalm. Deliver me from my enemies, O oh my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil and save me from bloodthirsty men. For behold, they lie and wait for my life. Fierce men stir up strife against me. For no transgression or sin of mine, O oh Lord, for no fault of mine, they run and make ready. Awake, come to meet me and see. You, Lord God of hosts, are the God of Israel. Rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil. Each evening they come back howling like dogs and prowling about the city. There they are bellowing with their mouths with swords in their lips for who they think will hear us. But you, O oh Lord, laugh at them. You hold all the nations in derision. O oh, my strength, I will watch for you. For you, O oh God, are my fortress. My God in his steadfast love will meet me. God will look, God will let me look in triumph on my enemies. Kill them not lest my people forget. Make them charter by your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouths, the words of their lips, let them be trapped in their pride. For the cursing and lies that they utter, consume them with wrath. Consume them until they are no more. That they may know that the God rules over Jacob till the ends of the earth. Each evening they come back howling like dogs and prowling about the city. They wander about for food and growl if they do not get their fill. But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. O oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you. For you, O oh God, are my fortress, the, the God who shows me steadfast love. Was David protected by the four walls of his house? No. Was he protected by the armies outside? No. Right? David said, God, you are my fortress when we look and we see God and God's providing in terms of walls in terms of as we know the rest of the story the way of escape that he gets out in the middle of the night it's God providing all those things it's not David's wisdom it's not his cunning it's not how sharp he is it's not his mighty men it's not all the things that you and I are ready to give credit to is it it's God if we'll look and if we'll be honest open our eyes and see things spiritually That this is God who is there to help. He's just showing up in the forms of other people that love us, that care about us. Our protection's not in the things. It's in the God that makes those things. Lastly, it does no good, does absolutely no good to stop and calm yourself and look for God if you're not going to listen. Right? We, we, we all understand that. You know, you can show up to the wisest council. You could go sit on Solomon's front porch and put your request before the wisest man that ever lived on the face of the earth. But if you don't do that, did you accomplish anything? If Solomon says, hey, here's what you need to do and this will fix your problem, and you're like, eh, I don't think so. Have you done anything? Friends, that's the other piece we need to be. We need to hear God. Speak to us. We need to hear God give us instructions about our lives. We need to hear the voice of God through the scripture and through the wise counsel of those that love him. Right? As we look around this room, one of the things in our wonderful cancel culture that we have today is everybody believes that they're only one that's ever gone through anything. Like that's the one thing that social media has taught me is that there's a generation of people that believe they're the first person to ever have anything happen to them. And it always just makes me inherently laugh because I look around a congregation and I see young families and families that have teenagers and families that have kids that just graduated, empty nesters, people that are in retirement. And you know what the thing about that stair step is? Every one of those people have been where the other one was. If if you're a young family right now And you've had an awful night because you've been up all night with a sick kid that's yelling and hollering and screaming. And you went to work with bloodshot eyes and didn't know how you were going to make it through the day. Look around here. There's a dozen people that did the same thing. They just did it 50 years ago or 20 years ago or 10 years ago. Right. Everywhere we've been, there is nothing new under the sun. Right. So why wouldn't we seek that counsel when we're overwhelmed by things in our lives? And listen. And not say, well, you just don't understand, you old fogies. You don't know what it's like. Really? No idea? No idea what it's like? Friends, we've got to listen to that wise counsel. But remember, we're not going to get to the point where we listen if we're not looking for him to show up in the first place and let him in the door, are we? Right? If, if we keep pushing everybody out of our lives, guess what we don't have? Anybody to give us counsel And we're praying for wisdom, right? God, help me. I don't understand how to do this. I don't understand what decision to make. And then Tom calls and you're like, Tom, I'm busy. I'm praying about this decision I need to make. I find it interesting when I look in the New Testament and I see this is how God answers prayers. Anybody remember the Ethiopian eunuch? Y'all remember that story? What happens? He's reading Isaiah 53, right? And what's he do is he's reading Isaiah 53. He's praying because he doesn't understand anything that's in the text. And what does God do? Does God miraculously whisper in his ear, this is Jesus? No. What happens? Here comes from, right? And he shows up and he teaches him. And the eunuch says, instead of saying, hey, man, I'm waiting for God to answer. Get out of my chariot. What does he say? He said, hey, this guy here, is he talking about himself? Is he talking about somebody else? What's going on here in the text? And from that point, what is Philip explains to him about Jesus, about all the things that have happened and converted the Ethiopian eunuch? And then he takes that back and those teachings back. And he is teaching others when he gets back to Ethiopia. right? Because that's how the gospel works. But why do we assume Nobody else has anything valuable for me to say, right? We see in the New Testament when God very well could have spoke to him the same way he spoke to Paul, right? Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, right? Jesus spoke directly to him. Jesus could have spoke directly to the Ethiopian eunuch, but what did he do? He went not got Philip. And when you and I are struggling, he's going to go get other people in our lives, but we've got to listen to wise counsel. We've got to be willing to take what they say. That's the text here, right? God tells Habakkuk to stop, to wait on the vision, wait on the instructions from me, to write it down, and to put it to use. I'm convinced that what the prophet is writing, the vision, is everything in those chapters of Habakkuk. And we'll get into some more teaching of that tonight and and the next time that I'm here. we've got to be willing to listen to let people in and listen come up with me to the book of Ecclesiastes I'm convinced every time I look up and read something out of Ecclesiastes that I should probably read the book of Ecclesiastes once a month there is so much richness that's in here wisdom that I think we know but we forget about in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, starting in verse 1, it says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near, to listen, is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they are doing, that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. The wisest man to ever live says that you'll learn a whole lot more if we close this and open these, right? But how do we get there, right? We gotta stop. I gotta calm my heart down. I've got to get my perspective right. I've got to look. For the opportunity of when God's coming to talk to me. Sometimes that's in scripture we're reading. Sometimes that's in wise counsel. But the third and the most important of all of these. Is that I've got to listen and I've got to take this in. I've got to understand that things are going to get better. And remember when we talked about that faith paradox. The quote that we use is that we we can never mistake the brutal reality of the situation that we're in. With the fact that we will prevail in the end. We will prevail, but that doesn't mean we're not going through some terrible things, right? And if we prevail in this life or in the life that's to come, we're still going to prevail. But that doesn't mean we're not going through terrible things right now. And we've got to be honest with ourselves about how long it takes to get through these terrible things that we go through. You know, it's, I, I think we, we do this all the time. We put ourselves on these imaginary timetables. Well, I lost a spouse. I should feel better in six months. Why? What's magic about six months? Maybe it's nine months. Maybe it's five years. Maybe you're never better. But we put these timelines on ourselves. And when we don't feel better, we get disappointed. Instead of listening to some wise counsel to other widows or people that have lost loved ones that are close to them and say, how'd this work? How do I get through it? How do I start to put my life back together? If we'll listen, if we'll take that advice, if we'll start moving ourselves forward, we're always going to have better outcomes. Maybe this morning, as we've been talking, you're on that first step. Life is chaos around you, you're dealing with difficulties and guilt and shame from sin. And the most important thing you can do this morning is just stop. To just take a deep breath. And to look up and see that God loves you and God wants you. And it doesn't matter what you've done. There's nothing that you can do that God doesn't love you and God doesn't want to redeem you. But if you'll stop, and you'll look and you'll see Him, you'll fall in love with God. You'll see that he loved you first. And you'll trust him enough to let go of the world, the cares of the world, and to embrace Jesus, his son, as the way, the truth, and the life. To die and have all your sins washed away, rising out of that water to take hold of newness of life, living a life that's selfless. It's not about me anymore. It's about how I can impact the lives of others. How can I grow closer to God? How can I be that embracer? How can I run and grab a hold of him? like a scared child, because he will protect us, and he will take care of us. This cycle that we talk about is like a corkscrew. We keep going around and around and around. The more times we go around, the closer and closer we draw to God. And maybe where you're at this morning is you are a child of God, or were, but you've fallen off the cycle, and now's the time to plug you back in. If you've sinned publicly, now's an expedient time for you to make a public confession, but maybe you're just hurting. Maybe you just need some encouragement. Wherever you are and whatever you need, don't walk out of here with any wavering and any doubt. Know God loves you. Know you're in a right relationship and come forward as we stand and as we sing.